Welcome to Porsche Pattern with Bracken Helms, the show where we hear Bracken and his distinguished guests from the Porsche community patter on about Porsches and all things automotive. Porsche Patter is sponsored by Circuit 64. Circuit 64 creates authentic automotive apparel made for like-minded automotive enthusiasts. The links for Circuit 64 are in the show notes. Okay, let's get to it. John Benton, part two. This is two of five. I had a coworker come up and ask me, hey, I wanted to listen to your podcast. And I said, oh, okay. And you should subscribe if you like it. And he says, well, I don't want to subscribe because I don't want to pay for it. Okay, for all of you that may think that you have to pay when you subscribe, all subscribe, all subscribe does is puts it like on a favorites list. And if you set it up, it'll give you notifications like on your phone or whatever that a new episode is dropped. But no, you don't have to pay. It's free. As I'm getting ready to upload this latest episode, this weekend is Luftekult. It's up here in the Bay Area, so that should be something new. I'm kind of excited about that. I was really excited, but a lot of my friends have canceled. Like, Pavel just had problems with the airlines getting over here. Stefan can't come up from L.A. Andrew had some issues in Canada. Even this, this episode's about John Benton. I talked to him, and he said... The emergency came up, and he's got to go to New York to help someone with something. <sighs> I'm excited it's here, and I've, there's a lot of activities I'm invited to, so I'm pretty excited about that. But a lot of the people that I was I had made plans with have had some emergencies. It's like the worst luck, all of them. Well, all of them that are from out of town. In this episode, John Benton talks about early trials in his life that have helped shape his life. But let's just get to it. Here's part two of John Benton. You were kind of a crazy kid growing up. Yeah, I did some crazy fucking shit, man. Not drugs or anything. I mean, I just was like super high energy. Had I grown up in a different era, I would have been, they would have been giving me all that shit. Like, I don't want to give kids, but I know they give kids drugs because they don't want them to be kids. I would never do that to my children. There's stuff you can do. You got to channel that. If you're not prepared to raise kids, don't have them. But anyways, yeah, I was pretty rambunctious and I grew up in a crazy environment. Um, good, good and bad. I wouldn't change it for the fucking world, man. I, I got exposed to so much shit, you know, just growing up in the environment I was in. Good and bad. It was pretty phenomenal. I, I love it. I, I, because I meet people all the time and we sit around shooting shit and I like to talk. I mean, it's no, I like to listen too. Don't get me wrong. I'm a pretty good listener, but I find out that even though we have commonality, I've seen shit people can not even just fucking imagine. They're just like, fuck. Because I, I was kind of, I was open for adventure and I'm so goddamn curious. Not so much now. I mean, you get tempered over time, but I'm still very curious. I'm still very competitive. I've always been super competitive. You know, when you're the shortest guy in school, you got to be competitive or just get the fuck out of the way. So I, I think I had a, a fist fight every day of school from kindergarten till uh, probably third or fourth grade. I, I must have fought every goddamn day. Because I thought everybody was fucking with me all the time. Yeah, I had a big chip on my shoulder. At home was an interesting environment. And I thought that's how you settled shit. You know, like if if somebody's fucking with you, you don't say, hey, why are you doing that? You just walk up and fucking drill them. And back then, you, know, you didn't get kicked out of school. You know, in fact, a lot of the guys you scrapped with were end up being your friends, you know? Yeah. You know, now they got kids walking into school with shotguns and killing everybody. It's like, the fuck? You know, it's not that hard to see the kid that, is in a dark place for me. I mean, I, I remember, I don't, what, 
grade was I in? Like second or third grade. I'm taking a letter home and I had to go back to school on a Saturday with my mom and take a test. And I ended up being brought into a program. I took a test. It was an IQ test. Now I know what it was. But, uh, you know, the raw shack and then they give you this little puzzle thing, with different shapes and they time you how fast you put the different shapes in the thing. And they, there's a puzzle and they ask you to complete phrases and stuff. And I was a pretty young dude. I, I did the thing and I ended up becoming part of a program. I don't know if it exists anymore. I mean, I raised a bunch of kids and I didn't hear shit about it, but it was uh, MGM, Mentally Gifted Minors, LA Unified. And I was kind of bummed out because it meant I had to go to school an hour longer every day. And my curriculum was kind of blown up a little bit, but it was good for me because I was like, I was the kind of kid that I would, the teacher would start asking the question and I knew the answer, right? And I like this, and then I would just blurt the answer out and piss off the teachers. And uh, so I went through that process, which looking back on it was pretty cool because we got to field trips all the time and get to, I mean, a small group of kids, like eight of us, you know, we, like today we're going to Mocha Museum of Contemporary Art. So I got to experience a side of life that most kids where I grew up didn't get to see. And I, I'm very thankful for that. You know, I, I didn't have the best report cards because I was always like getting in mischief. But academically, I had potential and, and I pursued that. And I was, I was, it was too easy almost. But then you fast forward. I had a lot of setbacks. 77 was like the worst year ever for me. 77 into 78, just weird. Halloween night, 1977. I was 14 years old. I was a mischievous young guy and I was very sarcastic. I had a very dark sense of humor. If someone was drunk, it was one of my big peeves. I just thought they were idiots. I grew up in a household full of alcoholics, you know, and I thought that that was like the stupidest thing you'd ever do. And I railed against that kind of stuff. And Halloween night, I'm with my cousin Denise and she's dating this guy. He did like two and a half tours in Vietnam, you know, full on like long range recon patrol dude, kind of dark figure, always had a old English in his hand, always fucked up, you know, but he saw some ugly shit, self-medicating, but I actually idolized this guy. I thought he was the coolest motherfucker ever. Well, super, super drunk. And we're walking down the street and I was just hanging out with them and I pissed him off. I made fun of him. He broke my leg. Like just savagely broke my leg. It was bad. I mean, he just like did this like, Quah! and next thing I know, my leg is like, I got two knees, you know. That really, really set me back because I ended up being bedridden for like six months and I went to school over the phone. I had to have a TV in my room. We watched like channel 58 or some shit. L Unified had like a block of programming on a UHF station. We had to watch that programming. I had a little packet that would come. I had a party line phone, this old ass phone with this head unit with this funky mic and shit. It was all like 1940s tech with push buttons and, and a, a rotary dial. You know, and it's like they installed that at the apartment where we lived. And I went to school over the phone. And most of the kids I went to school with were there because they had leukemia or cancer of some sort, some congenital malfunction. It was fucked up because we had a party line. We I discovered through some of the other kids that we could go on the party line anytime we want not just for class when the instructor was there. So, you know, we're all bedridden, fucked up, whatever. We would talk on the phone. And over that six-month period, half those people died. So it was fucked up. You know, it's like, God damn it. So that kind of messed with my head. And then when I went back to school, those were formative years, socially and mentally. I fell behind in every scenario. I was fairly athletic and lost all that prowess instantly. I had this one skinny leg that was all atrophied and damaged and 
couldn't run, I could barely walk. I go back to school with a fucking cane. And everybody's kicking my cane and making fun of me. And I was like, fucking, I wanted to kill everyone. And then right about the time I'm kind of coming out of that funk, some asshole shoots me in the head walking down the street. What, like guns? With, well, I didn't know at the time. It's a long story. I can go on forever, but it's a BB. And it's two centimeters into my head. It's still there. Some fucking kid shot me in the back of my head with a high-powered BB rifle. And I remember it happening. I thought it was a rock or something. It fucked me up. You know, I went, I, when I got home, because I went down. It didn't bleed a whole lot. Just a little minor bit of blood. And I showed my mom. You know, I'm like, Mom, it's like, with a rock or something, you know? And she's like, here, put some ice on it and go to bed. Well, fuck, I slept the whole weekend. You know, I remember being like, just like groggy, like, fuck, what's wrong with me, you know? And my speech was slurred afterwards. And, but that really fucked me up on a, on a level where I had no way of getting around it. I, it was weird. I, I knew what I wanted to say and I couldn't say it right. So when did you, if, if you didn't, if you thought it was wrong, when did you find out that it was a BB? Well, decades later, I got my nose broken. And I went to the emergency room. They did a CAT scan. Well, I'm sorry, MRI. And they injected me with dye and stuff. And it, I'm inside this thing. And I'm in there for a little bit. And then they just stop. And they start asking me questions. They're playing music. And all of a sudden, I, they're like, Mr. Benton, can you hear us? I'm like, yeah. Like, you feel okay? I'm like, yeah. What's going on? They're like, what day is it? That's my fucking questions. I'm like, I'm fine. What's going on? Well, we're done. I'm like, okay. So now they get me out. I'm in the, like, the fucking apron with your ass hanging out. And, you know. And they bring me into this room where they have like the screen and they got a trackball and they're like, okay, check this out. Like, have you ever been in an explosion? I'm like, no. Have you ever been stabbed or shot like that? I'm like, well, I've been stabbed, but what's going on? They're like, well, there's a ferrous metal object in your brain and we had to stop because that's really what happened. We, we were concerned because uh, that could have been just driven through your head and you really should, this is not good. You can never have an MRI. I'm like, oh, okay, it's good to know. So I went to my real doctor. They said, you should go see your doctor. Just make sure. So it explained a lot because after that. So all this time you just thought, oh, I got hit by a rock. And my mom said, oh, you know, go lay down. And then you were just groggy for and a little bit off. for, And everybody just thought it was a rock. All these. Well, there's not, not even conversation about it, you know. Okay. I mean, it was like I knew I was, was something weird, you know, because I was. <laughs> I started acting out after that quite a bit. And um, I had a few things that were kind of helpful, like scouts, filling scouts, bicycles, you know, skateboards. That that kept me like, I almost didn't want to be in school. Like I didn't even want to go to school, but I went. But I just, being competitive and not being able to be that guy, it was weird. And it was still in my head. I could formulate a good answer and I could think about things. And it, but getting it out was a fucking chore. It's weird. And, and over the years, over the decades, weird shit would go down because that thing was breaking down in my head. You know, it's almost like having mini strokes. Just, you know, I've known my wife since third grade, got married fairly young. I finally had someone I could share. I'm like, hey, I need to ask you a question because weird shit would go down. Like I do a lot of technical writing. I get on my computer and take off, you know, go to my spreadsheet or whatever, my, my Word document and um, look at it. And it was like, did I write that? It's like Groundhog Day. Back, it's weird. Like, and uh, Brenda was I'm like, Brenda, I wrote this, right? She's like, yeah, he's worked on it all night. I'm like, okay. Hmm. And I go back and read the whole goddamn thing, make a few changes. But it was weird. 
that weird shit like that would go down. It's been a while since I had one of those episodes. The only thing that happens on occasion is uh, my speech still gets affected a little bit. Uh, it's the weirdest thing. I, I feel like my tongue is too big for my mouth. It's the weirdest thing. It's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. So once in a while, if, if you know me for a while, I think people are used to it now, like a, like a tick. Like guys that grab their ear all the time, or their eye goes. For me, that's my little tick thing. And once in a while, uh, my my speech will have a different inflection where maybe it's, it's like a little bit of, it just happened. And I know it's happening. It bugs the shit out of me. But usually it's if I'm fatigued, a bit pushing, 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 it'll, it'll materialize. But uh, it's weird shit people don't know about me, but it's 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 there and it's a pain in my ass. But um, it slowed me down. It really, really slowed me down on a, on a personal level, uh, achievement level in my high school years. Uh, but I kind of, you know, I got my shit together. By the time I, I graduated, you know, I, was, I felt like I was back in the groove. I actually had an AP class my senior year, which I was like, thank God. These people I used to hang out, now I'm in the class with them. Let's fucking go. When I went to see the neurologist, you know, now I'm at like 40 years old, 42, whatever the hell I was. The neurologist, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I want it out. You know, let's fix this shit. And he's like, no, 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 no. If we go into where that's at, you'll, this could bring like a world of problems. There's no way we're going in to get that. He says, by now, it's formed this little thing. You know, you, you, you're fine. Just, you know, people have way worse issues than you that have no BB in their head. So just do your thing. That gave me some calm, you know, knowing yeah. that I'm functionally dysfunctional. So just go do your thing. But I, it did make me extra careful checking, double checking, measuring 10 times instead of one. I always had this doubt in my head that I was possibly going to fuck up. And uh, my illusion of control, you know, was shattered. You know, it's like, okay, just make sure everything's right all the time. Because, you know, I'm building things. You know, I mean, I was responsible for huge projects in the corporate system. Production lines, you know, yeah. football field long and all these moving parts. I really, like, overanalyze everything. And I'm not a super organized guy either. I'm, I'm a fucking I, – I excel in chaos. <laughs> Bring the chaos. You know, I meet people that are so super, like, put together and organized. I don't know how to do it. Okay. Some, like I said, some of these are going to be redundant because we've kind of gone into it. What attracted you to cars? Um, yeah. So, so, like. so cars are like magic, right? I don't know how to explain it. When I was a kid, like my imagination seemed like it was boundless. Like I wish I could get that back. Cause I, I swear to God, when I was a kid, I really thought I could fly until I was probably like four years old. And I, I remember flying. I'd like be in a room and I'd be flying around. Now, I don't know if I ate some acid off one of my cousin's desks or something, but I really, really thought I could fly. I just had to go to this place. I would just like close my eyes and I was flying around. I'd fly around. I would fly around the house. And when I, and I swam, I, I could swim when I was really super young, like six months old. I grew up with all the cousins and there was a swimming pool at my grandparents' house where I lived for the first couple, until I was like three or four. So that house was like magical. I remember like going in the pool and I, I felt like I didn't have to breathe. Like I just go in the water and do whatever I wanted for a long, long time. Just hold my breath, you know, and it was, felt so real. And I, I don't know if it was me dreaming or what was going on, but that was so, but so that's how I was like this in my head. I could really like go to a place where I was like, just wonderful place. Cars were the same magic for me. Like I would get in the car and feel like I was in this machine. It must've well been a spaceship. And I would just get in a car and I, be in a car for hours. I lived in an environment where the, nobody was on my shit all the time. You know, I could sit in front of a TV for a whole day and nobody would ever say shit to me. You know, I'd go in the den. This is old black and white Zenith. Nobody watched because the fancy color console was in the living room. And I'd go turn on that Zenith and just watch whatever the fuck I wanted all day long on a Saturday, early in the morning till the sun's going down. You know, it wasn't like 
dinner time. You know, they fucking, like, if I was hungry, I just went and got a weenie on a fork and on the fire on the stove. I couldn't wait to get a car because the car was a conveyance at the same time. So I knew that as much as I could fly around the house or swim in the pool endlessly, I couldn't see the world, you know, on my feet. You know, I, so I, I, I really wanted to be in, like, get behind the wheel of the car. Like, I wanted to move from the passenger seat to the driver's seat as soon as possible. I like cars. Okay. Yeah. I like all cars. Right. Like I had an amazing experience in a Honda, like an old, old Honda first gen Civic, like 600 CC Civic that one of my cousins had. It was so tiny and I was tiny. So just being in that little cocoon, it's a comfort zone. You know, I, I think I was craving comfort, like a shell, an exoskeleton to make me impervious. I could go fast as I want and I can fuck around. And that was an attraction, right? At, at first, it wasn't a specific car, but then I, f- I really found a happy place in an air-cooled Volkswagen. I mean, there's no doubt about it, hanging out with my cousin Denise and stuff and spending little snippets in the summer, goofing around with her in that car. So early on, you were dealing with, you had some American, you were talking about Impala yeah, so, so, and Volkswagens. So in the family, we had basically two kinds of cars, Volkswagens, Porsches, you know, I had some exposure to those, a lot of Volkswagens, and a shitload of Chevys. I had love for both things for different reasons, but sitting like in a, in a Caprice with a V8 or that 64 Impala with some glass packs and stuff, it was fun, man. And those cars moved in a different way. You know, like the, the little air cooled cars, they spool up, you rev the shit out of them. And uh, the land yachts we had cruisers, you know, but when you stepped on them, you know, if they, cause most of our cars had like a four barrel, some work done. They just, they boogied, man. You get on a seven ten. It's like a spaceship, man. The old man would lay into the pedal, and all of a sudden we're in Long Beach. We're just jetting, windows down, hard top, just wind blowing around. It's so fun and free and cool. And I grew up in Southgate. It was a really strong cruise scene. We had an AW root beer place on Atlantic and Tweedy, and the Whittier Whittier cruise was pretty strong. Street racing was super strong. I was little, but I always wanted to hang with the cousins, you know. And once in a while, I get lucky. Come on, John, John. And sometimes they would do that because they could get away with murder if they took me. So, like, if they told their mom, hey, I'm going to take John John. Oh, well, they're not going to get into any trouble because they got, you know, a six-year-old kid with a shit. <laughs> it was awesome. I love a nice V8. And I love, I, man, I keep telling myself I got room for a Camaro again. Because I didn't, I didn't sell my Camaro because I wanted to. I sold my Camaro because it got totally destroyed by some idiot. Hit me in an intersection. It had one coat of paint on it. It was all steel, you know, operating cal induction hood and the whole nine. It, that thing was wicked nice. And I had built a 383 stroker for it. It was like 11 to 1 with a TH400 shift kit and a 3000 RPM stall. That thing was vicious for back then. You know, like if you had a car like that, like I did, like in 82, you, you that was like everybody. I mean, I remember when I cruised down the street, people, not that was my intent, but I, that car was viciously like a 13 second car, which back then was pretty goddamn fast. Yeah. And it would bark second gear so hard. It was so much fun. The Lakewood ladder bars did everything it could to keep it straight. You know, it, that thing was, that was so goddamn fun. You couldn't handle a corner to shave its ass. My car that handled the same era during that period of time was a 66 Gia. I built a little Gia that handled like, it was amazingly good car in a straight line. In the eighth mile, it was a giant killer. And I could take it up on Mulholland and just drive the shit out of it. You know, I finally could afford some decent tires. The thing started to gel in my head. 
as a young man, you're like, oh, fuck, it's fast, you know. So what if the brakes don't work and it kind of steer shitty? I just wanted to go fast from light to light, maybe show what I got. But when you start really driving, you start like, well, shit, tires are really important. You know, that gear, I was still pretty young. I remember going to this high-end tire shop over in Downey. I'm like, I want the stickiest tire you got. Like, so these, they don't last very long, though. You know, like, I don't care. I, I want these tires, you know. They're looking at, you know, I'm like, yeah, put them on. Oh, my God. I remember driving home. Oh, my God, this thing's incredible. This is the same car. And then right away, just going to an industrial area over off of Santa Fe and just charging these corners and seeing what I could do. And, and like, oh, my God, this is awesome. And then going to Mulholland and just railing, you know, it's fun. It's really, really fun. But that car got stolen and destroyed. Uh, two dudes crashed it over in the projects on the other side of Alameda. I had just sold the car to a buddy of mine to concentrate on the Camaro. Because I wanted to get the Camaro to handle like that. Got like, I don't know how many horsepower that 33. At least 400 horsepower, maybe more. And I, I, I wanted to get it to handle, you know, and do the same thing. I wanted to charge Mulholland in that Camaro. But I got T-boned really bad. Like, hurt me, hurt the car. And uh, I was over it because the car was so perfect. It's like the thing where... It was like catching your girlfriend cheating. I was so heartbroken. So I sold the car. I went looking for a Corvette or a 911, and I found my 912. I still have it. Sorry. I'm just going down memory lane. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, comment, like, and share with your friends. Feel free to send questions or suggestions to the email in the description of the show. Special thanks to our sponsor, Circuit 64. Goodbye for now. We hope we can get together again for our next episode. Now get out there and enjoy the cars and the people.